Your great kindness and love is through the proclamation of the good news, through the preaching of your word and the power of your spirit. And so we ask as we stand before you, as we hear your word, be at work in us by your spirit for our good and for the glory of your name. Amen. Oh, please do sit down. And uh, grab hold of a Bible if there's one nearby. And as we begin, look, imagine this, it was coffee time. It was coffee time after the service at the fictional church of Christ Church Little Whinging. It's just north of Cambridge. Um, uh, Michael, the much-loved curate, was passing around the jammy Dodgers after the service. And as he approached one group, uh, they were talking about next week's sermon title, What is Baptism? Paul, a member of the PCC, said, I reckon most people think it's just a bit weird. Brian jumped in. Well, if you're really asking for my opinion, nobody was, uh, but he gave it anyway. Uh, he said, I think we should do away with it altogether. Being a Christian is deeply personal. No one has the right to say how you should express that. Anna, uh, one of the teenagers, replied, but it isn't the Bible. And didn't Jesus say, go and make disciples, baptizing them? Greg, who'd recently joined the church, said, we loved baptism at my last church because it's a great opportunity for inviting guests. We really focus on the person's testimony, adding as he looked sadly at the jammy Dodgers. And we made sure the biscuits were excellent. Karen, who'd been listening quietly, said... I thought I heard someone say you should be baptized before you take the Lord's Supper. Is that right? Paul reassured her, don't get bogged down with theology. I've, anyway, I've been baptized twice, uh, once as a baby uh, and once as an adult at my student church. It's good to cover all the options. Don't you agree, Michael? Uh, Michael was not sure that he did agree, uh, but as he took the last jammy dodger, he felt relieved he was going on paternity leave soon. <laughs> That's the fictional church of uh, Christ Church Little Whinging. But uh, what is baptism? That's what we're thinking about this morning. It often feels uh, like it produces disagreement about appropriate age or amount of water. But if that's all it produces, I suspect we've not really understood it. The Bible has no category for an unbaptized Christian. And anything God intends every Christian to receive is bound to be something that is very special. So what is it? Look, a couple of things just to help us begin to think about it. Here's the first thing. Look, it's, it's God's picture language. Uh, come with me to that reading we had from Romans chapter 6 in verses 1 to 4. It's on page 1132. And let me just read, as you get there, uh, from verse 3 again. Uh, page 1132, Romans 6. We read 1 to 4. Let me read for us verse 3. Paul writes this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
three pictures baptism paints for us. It's like a burial, a birthday, and a bath. It's like a burial. In the Bible, God says there is something, there's something very wrong about us. We've all turned from him sinfully. It's part of our nature. It's part of our nature to be, to be selfish or to be proud or to lust. Those things, they're not just temptations from the outside. They come from within us. And whether we feel it or not, sin brings God's death sentence. But God in great love, in great love came in Jesus to save people. He, he lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserved. And when anyone trusts Jesus, they are united to him by faith. Your life, if you're a Christian, it has been linked to his. So that death sentence carried out on him, by faith now it's been carried out on you. The penalty for your sin has been buried with Jesus. Coming under the water in baptism, it pictures that. But it's also like a birthday. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose to new life. And for anyone who's united to Jesus by faith, that, that is true for you too. One day in the future, you will be fully raised with Jesus. No more sin. No more death. But even now, we begin to live that new life. Do you see verse 4 in that reading we've got in front of us? Paul, Paul says it like this as he comes to the end of that verse. that We too may live a new life. It's not that we never sin, but in Jesus, God changes us into people. We're no longer people who now just say no to God. We've begun to live trusting Him. God has given us a new birthday. We're living a new life now. Third picture, baptism is like a bath, and that comes from the word itself. Baptize is is used in different ways. It's used in the Bible for, for sprinkling. It's used for dipping. It's used for pouring. It's used for submerging. But it's, it is often linked with washing. And so you get why baptism is a helpful picture. It, Jesus' death and resurrection is not just an example of sacrificial love. It really does something. Do you remember Jesus' words to Peter at the Last Supper? He said to him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Sin marks us deeply. And if we want to be friends with God, Jesus is going to have to wash us by his own death and resurrection. And baptism pictures that. Why is Paul writing this? Why does he talk to them about their baptism here? I mean, just think about it for a moment. When was the last time when somebody said to you, um, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you've said, oh, I was baptized. You ever said that? And yet, that's the way Paul talks here. Why, why is Paul writing this? Come back to verse 1, that question that Paul asks. He, he says this, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He's writing to people tempted to think, if God likes forgiving people, does it matter if we keep sinning? 
Imagine this, if you would. Basil, who was um, doing her prayers earlier on, uh, Basil used to have some chickens. Basil, this is why I was asking you earlier. So imagine, imagine if he still had them. Imagine Basil's been in the garden sorting out his chickens. It's hard work. There's lots of chicken poo. And he comes in, sweaty. Can you imagine Basil, the way he looks every Sunday when he arrives here, immaculate. Just imagine Basil for a moment, sweaty and smelly. And Juliet says to him, Basil, we're, we're taking you out for your birthday dinner at seven. You can't go like that. Get under the shower and I'll sort some clothes. By 6.30, he is clean and dressed. And he says to Juliet, I've still got 30 minutes. I might just head back out to the chickens. <laughs> Juliet doesn't say anything immediately, but she grabs hold of him and she marches Basil to the bathroom and points to the shower and says, tell me what that was for. Stands him in front of a mirror and said, tell me how you got to look like this. What's she doing? She has grabbed Basil by, I mean, what would you like to grab Basil by at times? <laughs> but she has grabbed Basil by his baptism. The visuals say something. Paul's saying to these friends, you're baptized. Look at God's picture language. The purpose of being united to Jesus is to die to sin, not to keep living in it. The purpose of being washed by Jesus is not to enjoy getting dirty again. God's rescued you from hell in order to secure you for heaven. Why would you want to live why would you want to live as if you wanted God to keep sending you to hell? Why would you do that? You've been baptized. Look at the visuals. And with that, notice, baptism is not really a picture of what we do for Jesus, but what Jesus does for us. That's the way this picture works. Baptism is not a picture of how good or true your faith is. When someone's baptized, <clears throat> We're not meant to be saying, look how wonderful their faith is. We're meant to say, look in wonder at what faith brings you. Faith brings you Jesus and all of the good news about him. That's what baptism is picturing for us. It's God's picture language. Here's the second thing this morning. Look, it's also God's body language. You can find your way to, uh, to Colossians if you would. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. I think it's on page 1183. But baptism is God's body language. Let, let me explain what I, I mean by that. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, when the world heads not, not out of control but into darkness because of sin, God begins his saving plan. He calls a man with the name of Abraham, and he makes a promise to him. And we're told, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He was made right with God by believing it, it came through faith. He didn't do anything. And later, God fills out this covenant promise. There's talk of family and of a land, a place to belong, but at, but at its heart, it's a relationship with God. And God says, I will 
establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. It's for Abraham and his children, and it's received by faith. God says, you can't earn this. I will have to do this for you. Turn from your sin and put your faith in me. But Abraham is told to do something. It it comes a little bit later in in Genesis chapter 17, verse 11. God says this, you are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and me. It's for him and every male child, that bit of skin is going to be cut away. How does this circumcision sign work? I think it works like this, and you can read around bits in in the Old Testament about it, but God's saying, Abraham, you and your children have got hearts that are sinfully hard towards me. That's what they're like from the get-go. Your hearts are hard towards me, but if you will trust me, I will make you mine. I will put you in the right with me. I will make you mine, and I will cut away that sin. I will do something in you that will get rid of that hardness of heart. Circumcision functions that way as a sign of that, a sign of that removal of sin. Sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? Signs like that, cutting away. But look, we get signs generally, don't we? We understand how signs work. We've had a number of weddings recently. We've got more coming up. And There's signs involved in weddings. At one point in the service, the bride and the groom say to each other, you've been at weddings and you've heard this. Maybe you've even said this at a wedding. The bride and the groom say to each other, I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. The giving of the ring signifies the giving of the things promised. Does wearing the ring make you married? No. Like, I mean, the idea that if I dropped this and you picked it up and slipped it on, you went, ha ha! I'm married to Julia now. That's not the way it works. It doesn't work like that. That would be weird. Maybe at times Julia would think, well, that would be quite good. You know, wearing the ring doesn't make you married. Is the ring the promise? No. The ring is not the promise. Does the ring matter? Yes. It matters very much. To ask any husband or wife how they'd feel if their spouse took off their wedding ring and threw it in the bin they'd be devastated. And you know why? Because this is not just a bit of metal. It's not just any old bit of jewelry. It's a sign of the thing promised. And it has a deeply profound and wonderful purpose. On the day that a wife feels all over the place and feels unlovely and unlovable and finds herself fingering the ring and she remembers however I feel 
He has promised to give me all that he is and share all that he has and always be faithful regardless of what I am like. And for days like this, he has given me this sign right on my body to reassure me it is our body language and I will trust him and be faithful to him. God is saying to Abraham, I'm making this covenant with you and your children. If you will receive me by faith, I will do all that I have promised. And I'm giving you a sign. Is the sign God's promise? No. Does the sign save Abraham or his children? No. Does the sign matter? Yes. He's saying to Abraham, there will be days when you wonder, am I really faithful? Will I deal with your sin? But I've given you a sign right on your body to help reassure you. And after all that, you might say, well, David, that's a good five minutes there, but most of us are not Jewish, and even fewer of us are circumcised. So nice story, but so what? We'll come to the second reading from Colossians chapter 2 and see what Paul says. At verse 11 uh, of Colossians 2, here's Paul writing. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 11, let's pick it up there. In him, that's Jesus, you were also circumcised. He's writing to Christians. Is circumcision for Christians? Paul seems to think it is. In him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now notice what Paul's saying. How do people benefit from what Jesus has done? He says, it comes to you through faith. It's only by trusting him. That's how you receive the good news about Jesus. You've got to trust him. You don't get it any other way. But how does Paul picture or sign what God's done in Jesus? Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised. Verse 12, see the link he's making, having been buried with him in baptism. What circumcision was a sign of, baptism is now a sign of. Friends, here's what I want us to hear. What circumcision was then for Abraham and his children, baptism is today for Christians and their children. And that is part of the reason why I think it's good to baptize the children of believing parents. Now, I realize and imagine saying that, that's going to start some questions going in all sorts of uh, our minds. And that is a good thing. And it's the reason why in two weeks' time, we're going to have a slight change to our plan, and we'll think a little bit about infant baptism. 
Now, in saying that, let me also add, at Christchurch, there are different views amongst us on this. It's one of the things Christians have different views about, and that is fine. We do not fall out over this. And as a church, we respect the views of parents on this. Nobody's going to be forced one way or the other. But as it's the teaching of the Church of England, it's the teaching of the church, I'm going to give a case for it. Not today, in two weeks. So you can come back then, eager to hear. But the main thing here, if you can just part that to the side for the moment, the main thing here is baptism is also God's sign to reassure you. When you were baptized, whether that was very young and you can't remember or older and you can remember it, you experienced God's body language. Was the water the promise? No. Did the water save you? No. Did the water matter? Yes. Yes, it really did. God arranged for your body to be touched with water as part of the way He reassures you if I trust the Lord Jesus, He will fulfill for me everything that He signed for me in my baptism. It's to reassure you, I'm a baptized person. It's God's body language. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 69 ask this of people. It says, how does holy baptism remind and reassure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross benefits you personally? And this was the answer uh, people were to learn. In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it promised that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his body and spirit wash away my soul's impurity. That is all my sins. All my sins. Our Christian friends here this morning, what kind of a savior do you have? Not only one who saves you, but one in great kindness wants you reassured on the days that you doubt. And he's given you a sign that has touched your body. Look, there's lots more I really wanted to say. You might not believe this, but I, you might think sermon's gone too long. I cut out about seven minutes of stuff so you could endure it and get to the end. There's more I want to say, but we don't have time. But what do we do with this? Look, if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, you're meant to be. It is the sign God puts on everyone who comes into his family. It would be odd to say, I want to be in the family, but I don't want to wear the sign. Just as odd as saying, I'm married, but I never want to wear the sign that shows uh, I am married. So if you've not been baptized yet and you're a Christian, come and speak about that. We'd love to arrange that for you. If you're a Christian and you have been baptized... That Christians in the past spoke about improving our baptism. 
It's a funny way to talk, isn't it? How do you improve it? How do you improve your baptism? They didn't mean you make it better. What they meant was deepening in your life what your baptism is saying to you. You've been baptized. You've been united to the Lord Jesus. Trust him and be faithful, just as he is faithful to you. At Christchurch, Little Whinging, little fictional church just north of Cambridge, they're having all sorts of conversations about this, talking in a way that I hope was, will be encouraging for one another. I think for our church family, at the end of the service, it might be you'd love to come and pray about this with someone. If not that, then over coffee and a jammy dodger, this would be a good thing to talk about. Not all the differences with baptism, but how does baptism speak to us, help us understand the gospel, and reassure us? Musicians are going to come back up, but let's bow our heads, and I'll lead us in a short prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, our first reading...